request in and give it to our usher and we'll be glad to pray for it. Also, if you see the listing of all the things that we have going on this week uh, for our church, for your growth and, and establishment in the faith. Also, too, a reminder of the food pantry products we have on the shelf and also the baby change uh, for the little girls and babies that need uh, care for diapers and stuff like that that can't afford it. And then also, too, just a reminder that uh, we have the outlines in the lobby for if you want to schedule for how to read the whole Bible or just the New Testament in a year, real easy. We're hoping to have a congregational dinner, but because of COVID, we keep on having to back it off. Uh, we're thinking maybe now in February, if things begin to come down with the COVID. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where my help shall come. Let's stand together and let's sing together, Whiter Than Snow. Good morning. Our prayer for confession this morning will be the bidding style. I'll read the, the lines and uh, pause in between and give each of us time to search our hearts to see how it might pertain to our life. Lord, as we have heard your challenge in the Beatitudes, we admit to our deficiencies. Forgive us for the times we should have forgiven others and instead we stewed and let our sentiment rob us. We confess we could have reached out to others to make peace, but instead we didn't want to be bothered with the negativity. We admit our hearts have not always pursued you and your righteousness this week. 
All these we come to you under the name of the shed blood of Jesus. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from, uh, excuse me, comes from Isaiah 43. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Our guidelines for living comes from Matthew 22. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Thank you, Scott. Let's stand together as we sing indescribable.
will take our offering. Steve, will you want to share with us the beautiful hymn that we're about to sing? Wonderful piece was written by W.D. Cornell sometime in the 19th century. Two scriptures which perform the basis of this hymn are Isaiah 26.3, which says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. The second verse is Philippians 4.7, which says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The chorus fits perfectly with the scriptures. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, and fathomless billows of love. Father in heaven, we just give you thanks and praise. For the very beautiful peace that we have, both eternally and in this life. Father God, I pray for those who do not know that. As we just sang, people need you, Lord. We just pray that they will come and that we will be the, vec the ones who bring the message to them, Lord. That this church can be a beacon of light here on 21st Street. And that, Lord, people can experience the wonderful restful peace that comes with knowing you, Jesus. Lord, I ask you right now, please bless these gifts that these folks give and bless them as givers in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>
come before the Lord in prayer. Father, today we come to you again with the wonderful hope that we have, that we have peace in you. And that the joy that we have in our hearts comes because of what you did on the cross for us. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to have anxiety over. But that you are in control of all that is being done. We pray about our country right now. And there's so many things that easily agitate our souls. That get us worried. Cause us to constraint and hurt and sadness. I pray, Lord, that you will give our government wisdom, our president, the Congress, the executive branch, the judicial branch. Uh, and Lord, I thank you for the checks and balances that we have in the government that helps our government stay straight. I pray, Lord, that it will continue to work well. I pray also, too, Father God, for our church as we go through the journey now together. And some of the things that we're going to be doing in the next year, Lord, that you will give us wisdom, insight, and power to execute what needs to be done. I pray also for our friends and our loved ones that we know that are struggling. We pray especially for our sister Lucille, and we pray for Kay. I pray also for Mary. I pray also for Joyce. I pray also for those who we know that are going through addictions, Ryan, Jordan, for Eric and for Ricky. Pray also for Betty's John and some of the health issues that he has. We pray also too, Father, for Howard, that um, you continue to work in his life and for healing. I pray for our brother Howard here this morning, directing that you give him a place that him and his wife, his, his daughter, can um, share together and that they can enjoy uh, living in safety. Pray also, too, for other things that are going on in our community. I think of the two officers who are shot and continue to bring healing both in their minds and their heart. Pray also for Officer Kyle, uh, that you'll continue to heal him up also, and that they, all three of them could get back working and doing the justice in the streets that they enjoy doing. Pray also, too, Father God, for um, those who are going to school, and whether they're going to be in school or out of school, the COVID thing. All these things, Lord, that are right now keeping our lives upside down and backwards. I pray, Father God, for the end of this COVID thing. I pray also, too, for stability to come back into our routines and into our lives. I pray also, too, Father God, for those who make these decisions and for the stresses that they have in making them, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for this day and for the blessing that we have in this warm winter that we're having, Lord, except for the last couple of days, it's been wonderful. And we thank you for it. Now, God, I pray that you'll feed us with your word today. And show us, Lord, what we need to hear and what we need for this week as we go into it. Teach us, Lord, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you ever look at Shakespeare's stuff, you'll find that Shakespeare never was in one of his plays. But he wrote his plays. And you could see his hand in everything, both the picking of the characters, the way he handles the, the movement of the stuff, the dialogue. Every scene has his hand marks on it. Today we continue in the book of Esther that we talk about the hand marks of God. Even though this book didn't have God's name in it, God is everywhere present in this book. It's kind of like this week, you know, we watched some football crazy this week and 
We see Andy Reid this afternoon. We'll see the plays that he chooses and that are his creativity that gets done. We saw last night Bill Belichick and some of the struggles he was having, but usually he has a very consistent game plan that works well. But today we're going to consider the Word of God, especially in this book of Esther that some never wanted to be part of the Bible because it didn't name the word, the name, name the word God in it especially Luther and others like him, we find that this book is loaded, loaded with God in every instance and in everything that's going on around him. And it speaks to us in our hearts and in our lives that God is in everything that we do. He's lining up things to things happen. He doesn't come to us in miraculous ways, like in the Old Testament where he parts the Red Sea. He doesn't turn water into wine. But we see God in every instance of our life and moving people in and out of our lives, moving us in different positions and different places, all because of his glory and his good and his sovereign will. We have the 10 chapters that this book is made of. The first chapter, of course, was about the big party that was six months long in which he tried, the king, Azarus, tried to talk people into going to fight the Greeks with him all from all his 127 provinces. And we know that he basically fired his wife during that because he wanted to show his success, but also his trophy wife. And when she wouldn't come, he fired her as his wife and divorced her. And so when he went off to battle... And when he came back after he lost, lost to the Greeks, he was upset. And so what had happened was um, the, his people wanted to make him missing his wife. They found a beauty contest and they brought all the beautiful young virgins from all over the countrysides and in the cities to be in this beauty contest in which they could become his wife. And if they didn't become his wife, they may wind up being his concubine. Well, here we have it. And this little girl by the name of Esther, who was adopted by Mordecai because both of her parents had died, winds up being the queen. And she doesn't get it because just because she's beautiful, although she is a beautiful woman. The Bible shows us here that God, by his infinite wisdom, put her in that place for a very special place, for a very special purpose. One of them was right off the bat. Mordecai was raised up because she became queen. And he was at the gate and he heard some stories about two of the people that were around the king that were planning to kill him and plotted to kill him. And so Mordecai got the information to his, uh, his uh, stepdaughter, we would call her, um, and she sent the information to the king. And the king was happy about it, but he didn't give Mordecai any background or anything back for her and, and compliment. Instead, it was written in the book of their laws, but that was forgotten about. Now, this is all part of God's plan. Even that little detail is part of his plan. And then he finds out that the advisor, Haman, who was raised up to second in command, was going to be also uh, wanted to kill the Jews. Now, Haman should have been killed off way long ago in 1 Samuel. But because God's servant and king, the first king, saw, disobeyed God, that they're still around. And now they come back to haunt the children of Israel. Now there are a million people, a million Jews in Persia. There's only 60,000 that went back after their exile. And Mordecai comes and finds out and discovers that this man Haman wants to kill the Jews. And what he does is, is that he prevails on her. He says to her, listen, Esther, you got to understand that he's going to kill the Jews. 
And that means you. You're a Jew, and you know it. We haven't told the king that, but you're a Jew. I'm a Jew. We're going to die. And so number one, if you don't do this, God will find another way to get the message to the king to stop this. Number two, not only will I die and you die, but our whole family will die because if you don't act. And number three, that maybe this is why God made you the queen so that you could step up to the plate. So here we are now. She has this opportunity. Although she gives him several different reasons why she doesn't want to do it, but she does it anyway. She's a reluctant person who steps out in faith to do it. But here we have it again. <laughs> What's amazing to me is God has every detail mapped out. She flutters in her faith. Look what happens. Now it came about that on the third day, and if you remember, the third day is very special in the Bible. The third day we find, for instance, that uh, Abraham leaves and goes to fulfill God's promise to go into and make a great nation. We find out again in three days, uh, Potiphar uh, finds favor with Joseph. In three days, in Genesis, we find that he becomes the keeper of the prison. All these three days, and we know three days Christ rose from the dead, comes the deliverance of Israel. And Esther now has got this opportunity to go before the king, scared to death. Because if she goes to the king and he rejects her, they hadn't been seeing each other for 30 days. And if he rejects her, he gets to kill her. But now she steps up to the plate. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put her royal robes on and stood in the inner court. And when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained his favor. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. And so Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. So she's accepted in the king's court. She's given this opportunity to speak her mind. And when she comes to speak her mind, the king says, what is your request? And Esther says, it pleases the king. May the king and Haman come this day to a banquet that I have prepared for him. He has, she has the opportunity to give the request but it's some reason why she holds back. She's fearful and reluctant to go. Even though she has this little faith, she comes to the king and says, I would like to invite you to another party. Now, isn't this wonderful? Here she's already got him in the house. They're having a party. And he asks her what he wants. And instead of telling him Haman's plans, she backs off. She flutters in her faith. She kind of stumbles. How many times have you found it in your life that when God called you to have some faith, all of a sudden you step up and you do it, and then you start questioning yourself. You start wondering whether I did the right thing. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. Or why did I do that? We question ourselves. And we wonder if that maybe we just were not reading God the right way. Maybe it wasn't the right time. Can you imagine what's going on in her mind? Or that I'm unprepared. I still can't tell him exactly what we need. You see, Spurgeon speaks about this. And he said that he believed that what she was having 
but she's having a problem with her faith. She wasn't sure she made the right decision. She was scared. And she was afraid that maybe he'd side with Haman and kill her right on the spot. And what she was doing was delaying the tactic of just telling him outright. Why wasn't she? Why was she having this flutter of faith? Well, sure. She was getting cold feet. But you know what's interesting about this? God even used that flutter of faith in her life and in the life of the Israelites to do what he planned to accomplish. Even her flutter in her faith, her cold feet, were part of God's great plan. I can remember when we came, last week I talked about us coming to Wichita and to starting this church. And it was interesting that we felt the call to come out here and start this church. We were in Kensler Elementary School. But what happened was every Monday, I would get a call from one of the guys in Nebraska who was on the board, and then I'd get a call from my district rep representative up in Iowa. So how was it? <laughs> well, you know, when things aren't going good, how much you dread that whole deal. I can remember one night in particular. It was now the summer. And the school let us meet in their library that was air conditioned. The only thing is that we couldn't put the thermostat down below 80 degrees. So it was like a sweatshop. And then one day I was, after the service, I was really despondent because I knew those phone calls were gonna come Monday morning. And instead of the 80 people that we had, we only had 15. And I'm like, Ugh. and five of them were my wife and three other children were the five of us. And we thought, oh no. And so how was it? How many people did you have? Well, I had 15. <laughs> One of those types of deals. And it was very discouraging. I was getting depressed. And I remember just praying to the Lord for help. I was doubting myself whether this was the right move to come out here, whether God wanted us here, and have all kinds of doubt coming through my mind and thinking maybe I'm, I'm wasting people's time. And what happened was I, I began to pray with the Lord and the Lord affirmed me that this is where we're supposed to be. There are a lot of things yet to do that we had to get accomplished, but we needed to trust him. And that was hard. And I can understand how her faith fluttered. Even though she got welcomed in by the king, and even though he said to her, I'll give you half the kingdom, he's got a second in command, Haman, now sitting there with them. And she says, well, my request is that you come tomorrow for another. She stumbled. But even her stumbling, God used that for his purposes and his plan. And her stumbling was even part of his plan, which sometimes we have a hard time with that. We can't believe that God would even know us exa exactly and know that we were going to stumble and fluster and fall flat on our face and that he was going to pick us up. And he had a whole bunch of things between the time she delayed until the next morning when they were going to have their second meal. He used that and included that in his plan. 
Even the delay was part of God's plan. And we see why it was. In chapter 5, verse 9, Then Haman went out that day glad. When he heard that he was going to be invited to this second meal with just the king and Esther, and when Haman's, and, and, and he was just over the moon. And then he runs into Haman, runs into Mordecai. And there's Mordecai sitting there, not recognizing his authority, not standing up and trembling before him. His anger was so incensed because he didn't believe that he would do that. And Haman couldn't control himself from saying anything because he had a plan. He was going to exterminate and kill Mordecai. And so he went to his home and called his friends and told them about it. Now you see, God is, God Haman, confused. He's got Haman with a wall pulled over him, thinking that he's such a great guy and that God is, that he's, he's got it all in the bag and he's really in control. When God's the one that's in control, and God is going to take care of him. You know, it's interesting. I was reading about how sometimes deceptions work and how they're used. And I was incredibly enticed by understanding about what the U.S. Army did back in World War II. They had a group of men and women who were artists, and they basically made a blow-up army. They called themselves the Ghost Army. They had 82 officers, uh, over 1,000 men and women who were working on under Colonel Harry Reed. And approximately what they did is they put together groups of tanks and uh, howitzers and all kinds of stuff. And basically they put it out. And in fact, it's interesting, but Bill Blass was one of the designers. And what they did is they, blew, they made these blow-up tanks, and then they also had the Army Corps of Engineers with their radio traffic so that the Germans were thinking there was a whole battalion in one spot when it was just these blow-up dolls. And so they couldn't send their troops to other places because they were afraid that if they left themselves vulnerable and they had this other army here that they couldn't go. And so what they did is they played this shell game with the Nazis over the years during that war. And it was interesting, the records were classified right after the war, and it wasn't until 1990 that they were unclassified. And now they show this, the Smithsonian, in fact, speaks about it and has a place right there for them in their museum. And what they would do is they had all this traffic from the noise, and they had radio traffic, and they had all these blow-up tanks and armament that were not true armament, but kept the Nazis in check. And here Hitler was fooled and his men were fooled about this. Well, here's this is what happened with Haman. He was fooled by God. He thought he was just so full of himself that it was going to happen to him. And yet what happened is he is going to pay the price. Because of him not following God's way and wanting to get rid of the Jews. And what happens is he comes home and he pouts. He's sad because he sees Mordecai, and Mordecai threw him off the, 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 his happiness. Now, the Bible here is speaking to us, folks, about where do you get your happiness from? Where do you find your total peace in your life? 
You see, he depended on his circumstances, on how he was being treated and how he was being put up as, as this first stellar leader of the country instead of having his peace from God. He was all full of himself. And when one little thing happened that robbed him of his joy and made him divert and think that Mordecai would not bow down to him, it set him on fire. And sometimes that happens with people when they're filled with themselves. And as soon as something gets in their way or causes them to some consternation, they're immediately on it with anger or they're frustrated. And he was so full of himself. He was a narcissist and was so filled with his self-fulfillment that he couldn't think when somebody threw a little wrench in his great day and he was angry. He was frustrated. Now we say, Dave, I mean, I have a little bit of a problem. I was reading. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that we find out about people and what their aim in life is? Can you remember with me back in 1991 in Texas? A mother was so filled with her daughter and and wanting her to exceed as a cheerleader on a cheering squad for a high school. And this woman hired a contract on a hitman to kill the girl's mother so that she would have a bad day and couldn't compete as well with her daughter so her daughter could become the head cheerleader. That's what happens. It's an extreme case. But when we get thrown into a tizzy because something little happens or somebody gets better off than we do and we get all in a tizzy, we are finding ourselves being said, you are, this is too important for you. You are not putting God first. You're letting circumstances guide you rather than letting God's joy fill your heart. And this is what was happening with Haman. As soon as Mordecai wouldn't do what he wanted to and wasn't in his He immediately got upset. And so he goes home. We saw with, you know, I was thinking about this the other last night when I saw an advertisement for the Olympics. You remember Nancy Carrigan and and, uh, uh, Tanya Harding and how got her to get her ankle hurt so she could win the contest rather than Nancy Corrigan. And how sick that was. And yet it was played out before us all on TV. Well, we see. This is what happened with Mordecai. And Mordecai gets so upset. He goes home and he pouts to his friends and to his wife. And his wife comes up with this idea. And all his friends say, have gallows 50 cubits high made. And in the morning, ask the king to have a Mordecai hanged on it. And then joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. (laughs) Can you imagine that? He was overjoyed. To think that he could get rid of Mordecai. He had this whole expectation that he was going to take him out. Little did he know. God had another thing. This is all part of the flutter, remember? This is Esther's faith flutter. It's taking place while this is all going on. And God had it all in his plans. You see then the frustration of insomnia hits the king. 
During the night, the king could not sleep. So he gave an order to bring the book of the records, the chronicles, there the read before the king. These are law books. He knew that they could throw him to sleep. And it was found written that Mordecai had reported concerning Bethika and Thrissa to the king's eunuchs who were doorkeepers and they had sought to lay their hands on King Asterus. And the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Remember Mordecai didn't get any pat on the back for this? He just went back to work. And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. The only thing God did was he had it written in this book. And isn't it interesting, the king, the night before, that he has this insomnia and reads this record that Mordecai saved his life. And he wants to honor him. Isn't it amazing that God weaved this together during this faith flop that Esther had in the day, two-day period? And in the, that night, all this is taking place. And how important this is to the survival of Jews. And we find that when we're even sleeping, God is working. And God can direct through many things we do in life. He's directing us when we go for recreation. How many times has it been that I went to the Y and Somebody was in need of counsel or, or to pray. That didn't just happen. That's God's doing. He's directing. How my, my decision to go to Iowa, to college, directed me in many different ways and met my wife and, and, and the school that I went to. All that wasn't just Dave by choice or luck. This is God's doing, making it all fit together. Even the books that we read, I was very interested to find out how many people's lives were changed because of a different book that they might have read, that they would have never read. And here God is working in it. God will direct the books of the people as they pick them up to read them. That could change their life. In 1916, a British fella came to a bookstore at a railway station. And he bought this little book. Not thinking of it anything, but just thought it would be kind of fun to read. And there discovered Jesus Christ. And came to know Christ through that little book. And his life led many orphans to Christ. And he also led and cared for over 10,000 orphans in England because his life had been changed that night. George MacDonald. Or C.S. Lewis, who picked up a book by chance, he had originally said, but how God changed him. Or a young man in Africa who was living a wild life living with the prostitutes, drinking and carrying on. And one day he stumbled on a book that his mother had been praying for him for years to change his life. And then he stumbled on a book and read Romans 13, 13 and 14. 
And that young man gave his life to Christ and has still touched the life of thousands and thousands of theologians by the name of Bishop of Hippo, Augustine. Just because of a book. Just because he picked up a Bible. And what we find here is God working through the insignificant things of life to change life around and his control. And notice what then this happens here. Nothing has been done for him as they read that book. And so what does the king do? Just at that time, the king begins to talk, what can I do for this Mordecai who done this such a nice thing for me, who saved my life, and we did nothing for him? And why is it being revealed now? Because it was God's time now. Because it was God's perfect timing that took place here. And notice what happens. So Haman came in and said to the king, what is, and the king said to him, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? Now look what the thing says next. And Haman said to him, self, would that king desire to honor more than me? <laughs> He's full of himself. He's looking at the king here and say, hey, he wants to honor me. So guess what? Haman says to the king and gives him a list of all the things that he could do to honor this man who the king wants to honor. And look at what happens. Look at the shift that takes place. And then the king said to Haman, take quickly the robes and the horse as you said. And do so to Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. And do not fall short in any of all that you have said. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square. Proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Isn't it incredible that God moved all these pieces together in one night's time in order for Haman to be humiliated. And here the very guy he wanted to impale that very morning instead is being lifted up by his own words and by the very things that he proclaimed to the, his boss to say, take it now. And here he's being humiliated. God is absolutely right here now in control. And may at the end of all this, look what happens. Verse 12, Mordecai returns back to the king's gate. He goes right consistently back to the work he's been called to do and is doing his work. But Haman returns and he's sad. He's depressed. He's covered his head. He's mourning and he's frustrated because he didn't get that blessing. In fact, Mordecai was given the signet ring and be given the rulership that Haman so much had and desired. And instead he lost it because God had worked behind the scenes and changed it all around. You see, Mordecai then returned to the king's gate and did his work. 
Haman was disgusted, humiliated. And what we find here is that when he's there, his family and friends are saying to him, you're in trouble now. You made a big mistake. This is a bad omen. You see the Meridian, the, the Medes and the Persians, they were very, very worried about the future and omens. And they're looking at this and saying, man, you are in trouble. They're prophesying now because the reverse has taken place. And notice how it happened. By God, working through natural circumstances, even little circumstances, so that the faith of Mordecai, the faith of Esther, will be lifted up. This wonderful thing is for us, folks. That even in the little things in our obedience to God, God will lift you up if you stand for him and trust him through faith. And it's not always easy. Like Esther, we will sometimes stumble in our faith. There are times that we will incredibly fall short. But we have a God who loves us and is in control. And even our flub-ups are integrated into his plan to get us to where he wants us to be. And notice, it says, while they were talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hastily brought Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. He got the idea from his wife and friends and himself. He knew the time for judgment was coming. And that he would have to give an account. How many people do you know today, my friends, don't believe that? They believe that we're here, we're here, and when we're done, we're done, and that's it have no idea that what they do here in life will affect their eternity. Without Christ, that they will stand before the judgment seat of God and have everything in their life plastered before them. And they will have to give an account for everything. Where for us in Jesus Christ, even people like us, Mordecai and Esther, who will be forgiven for all, and that God has the plan to move us into the right directions and bring us to the spots where he wants us to be. And he's prepared for us to be. Like he did with Esther. Like he did and he covenantly made with Mordecai. That he made the covenant with the children of Israel. And that God used her floundering faith to bring them to the spot where God could be glorified and they were going to be saved. It's so easy, folks, to give up. To want to throw in the towel and think that God is not there. And yet God is over it all. And he's moving in your life and mine. Even with the least little detail. And we need to pay attention and by faith have him help us to conquer those things, that little details of sin that we commit in our lives. For those moments of lack of faith that we have. That when we get to heaven we will see he had a grand plan weaved for you and for me. With all these challenges and difficulties of life. And it's so easy to throw in the towel. 
You know, today everybody's going to be watching football. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people will be. <laughs> and I remember my senior year in college. We had no idea that at the end of the season we would be playing in the national championship. But we had an opportunity to upgrade our score in the NCAA because we were going to play a Division II football team and we were only Division team Three. That team flew into Des Moines and they had their own university jets. And those guys were big. And here we were, this little bunch of people from Iowa. But there were only going to be 11 men on the field for both sides. And I'll remember one day, that night, the game had been flip-flopping back and forth. And with 12 seconds left on the clock, they scored and went ahead. Oh boy. And right at that point, you could watch the fans picking up their gear and walking to the exit. And there was a girl that I was dating by the name of Sandy. She picked up her stuff and was heading back to her dorm room to get ready for the dance. But then we had still an opportunity and they kicked off. We ran it back to the 40 yard line and there was only eight seconds left on the clock. And we ran out onto the field, our offense, and all of a sudden our quarterback came out and also our second string quarterback who was also a wide receiver. And he says to us in the huddle, now listen, we've never done this. We've never run this play. He said, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna run a flanker reverse, offensive lineman, stay behind the line, don't go downfield. And we're gonna run a flanker reverse pass. And when he said our count, and when we went into the play, he began to run around the right side. And as he was running, the other quarterback, who also had 81 on him, he flipped it to him and he went across the other way. And what that did is that brought all the defensive backs and linebackers up. And I remember laying on the ground with this 300 pound guy on my head. And I'm seeing our All-American hurdler, Randy Buskers, running a fly pattern right down the center of the field. And this defensive back stopping and turning around and trying to catch up with him. And I, all I could see was this ball flying over and hitting Randy, our wide receiver, right in the hands that he did not even have to break stride. Ran all the way down into the end zone, touchdown with no seconds on the clock. And folks, that reminds me that all we had to do is obey the coach. 
That's what God wants us to do. Even when it seems like it's over. <laughs> and trust him with the Paul, the play that he calls. And that, that he'll make the touchdown for us if we trust him and we wait on his will. And what a blessing that is. That's why tonight, I want to, this afternoon, I want to close with these words from Peter. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Listen to him. Do as he says, that he may exalt you at his proper time. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to do this. Help us, Lord, in our unbelieving times, in our lack of faith, our fluttering faith. Help us to trust you no matter what. Help us, Lord, to do as you call us to do and to have trust in you unlimited. Thank you, God, for these folks today and for their love for you, Christ, and their trust in you. Help them never to throw in the towel, but continue to walk and run with you all their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and receive the benediction. And then... Let's sing our closing song. And now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Give of your